Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If you start looking around the world, you will see that human beings are deeply conflicted and extremely confused as to what life is about and how we should act. Exhibit A, walk into HEB, beautiful produce, healthy, fresh, a small part of the store, the very heart of the store, for acres and acres, so much so they have to expand it, processed foods, little Debbie's, ramen soups, so much sodium in it, just looking at them raises your blood pressure. That's what we're there for. Fruit Loops, Captain Crunch, things to make coffee into milkshakes. <laughs> Go to the intersection of Valley Mills Drive and Waco Drive. Examine the strip mall. Behold, an all-you-can-eat buffet. And right next to it, Crunch Fitness. What are we supposed to do in a world that contains both Gwyneth Paltrow and Guy Fieri? Whole Foods, organic, and diners, drive-ins, and dives. What does it mean to be a good human in which those things exist side by side? How are you supposed to succeed at that? In 2014, a drummer became a singer. You heard that song, We Are Young, everywhere. And the drummer, Jack Antonoff, formed a band called Bleachers. And he put out a song that went platinum. He's had so much success, he now is like the producer for both Lord and Taylor Swift. You're welcome, Swifties. And in 2014, he released a song called I Want to Get Better. And he sang, I didn't know I was broken until I wanted to change. I want to get better. And the song recounts all the ways he's not really able to get better and that struggle. And I find that to be a universal human experience, that when you try to change, when you try to move from the all-you-can-eat buffet to crunch fitness, when you start to try to wake up earlier or you start to try to stop procrastinating or you start to try to cut out carbs, you start to try to not look at your phone all the time and be emotionally present, when you start to try to do all those things, you find that inside you lives a two-year-old. Have you ever tried to reason with a two-year-old? <laughs> Have you ever tried to convince a two-year-old that steamed broccoli is better for them than chocolate syrup? 
The number one mistake parents make is to assume their children are rational human beings. As Tim Kreider says, toddlers are incontinent sociopaths. And inside you lives that child, and you try to reason, you try to convince, you try to persuade, and you find that two-year-old to be incorrigible, and you don't change. You want to get better. And here's where the church comes in. The church forgets about the two-year-old that lives inside you and comes along with sermons and books and speakers and advice, podcasts and devotional guides who all are trying to make you better by simply telling you to eat your broccoli, telling you to get better. And I know that that's what people think the church is about because I saw somebody this week, someone who because of a lot of things going on in their life was not able to attend church as frequently as they wanted. And this person saw me from across the room and did this. (laughs) Because this person thinks that all I really care about is behavior. Because that's what the church is all about. And that number one thing, are you going to church? So actually, I was curious about this. I looked at my job description. I pulled up the file. I went to Nancy in HR and I said, what is on my job description? And it listed, rector of St. Albans Episcopal Church, primary responsibilities include, number one, ensuring church attendance, and two, public shaming. So she was right. (laughs) She was right. But I would say to you, that is actually not the job of the church. But I get why people think it is, because we have passages like the ones we read today. In 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul says to the Corinthian church, this city in Greece, uh, which exists uh, to this day, you can go visit the ruins, and he says to this Christian community, don't be like the Israelites, who were part of God's holy club, and they messed up, and so they were cut down. Don't be like that. And then we read in Luke 13, Jesus is talking about a fig tree, and he's talking about people who were victims of a natural disaster, and he says, don't be like them, or you'll be cut down, repent or perish. And then this thing about a fig tree, and if you don't produce fruit, cut down. So I get it, why people think us preachers just have some axe on us all the time. And our main job is to get you guys to shape up. And if you don't, we'll cut you down. I get it. I get where that comes from. But I want to observe with you that even in light of these passages, we can acknowledge the reality that just threatening people to try to get them to improve their behavior doesn't work. You may get compliance, but you haven't changed what they want to do. They're just... They're not doing the bad thing because they're scared, but they still want to do the bad thing. You haven't changed anyone. Has anyone ever nagged you into more love and kindness? Has anyone nagged you into real listening and compassion and empathy? If nagging you to learn how to properly load the dishwasher, and there is a correct way, has not worked, then surely just me berating you and browbeating you into love and 
kindness isn't going to work either. So what is going on in these passages, and what do we do about it? And also, I want to talk about the Karate Kid. So, 1 Corinthians 10, St. Paul, talking to these people who have become Christians, and yet they are still so frustratingly human, and he wants them to live lives that are full and flourishing and not full of all the kind of stuff that makes us hurt ourselves and hurt others. And he's talking about idolatry and he's talking about sexual immorality and he's saying, don't do it. And he's given this warning from the people of Israel. But I want to note with you one thing that I think is often overlooked, which is first, he says that this happens to everybody. He says in verse 13, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. So I want to just say that for you, if you feel like you're being a bad Christian because everybody else wants to read their Bible and there you are with its dusty cover, everybody else is doing things right and you're not, and you might feel like you're the only one, there are many people I know that think that everybody's got it together except them, and what Paul says is you're wrong, that everybody has got it not together. The testing that has overtaken you is common to everyone. Uh, And the thing that I want to offer that Paul, the help that I want to give you, Paul points at it, and he says this in the rest of that verse, God is faithful and will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but with the testing he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Read it again. God is faithful, he will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but with the testing he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I bet some of you at some point were encouraged by some person who cared about you in the church to memorize that verse and to use it as a weapon of defense against the evil one so that when you drive past McDonald's and the McRib is back, (laughs) that unholy piece of meat Shaped like it has bones, yet it does not. (laughs) It is not of the Lord. You can say, God is faithful and he will not be tested beyond my strength. I will not turn right into the drive-thru. He will provide the way out. And then you find yourself sitting in your car, covered in barbecue sauce and shame. (laughs) And you blame the Lord. Well, he didn't provide a way out, I guess... It's on him. (laughs) We read this verse like God is some magician, and if we see the jelly donut on the kitchen counter, God will provide a way out, and suddenly the jelly donut will turn into carrot sticks and hummus. (laughs) He provided a way out. Or there you are throwing, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through the Sochmeads so much that your thumb is starting to ache. And then a little, little bluebird lands on your phone and looks at you, winks. It's like a Disney bluebird. Flies away and suddenly your phone is turned into a Bible. You know, that this is how God removes the temptations, just these magical things. Now, what Paul says is he will provide the way out, and the way out, 
I'm feeling Baptist-y. The way out, brothers and sisters. The way out is not magic tricks. The way out is Jesus Christ. The one who has in every way been tempted as we are and yet did not sin. The one who gives us righteousness even when we fail. The one who takes our failures on himself on the cross. This is the way out. Because everything you do, whether you succumb to temptation and then enter the sin of despair, or you achieve victory over some temptation and succumb to the sin of self-righteousness and pride, what we need most of all is the grace of God, is what we have in Jesus Christ. That is the way out that he provides. So, we see this in Luke 13, where people come to Jesus And they have questions about sin and righteousness and who gets good stuff and who gets bad stuff. And those bad people who had the tower fall on them, they must have been really bad. Or those people that Herod killed, they must have been really bad because that's how God works. He cares about behavior. And Jesus, like Paul says, hey, everybody is the same. You're looking for good people and bad people so that God can reward the good and punish the bad. Well, everybody's bad. Everybody's got good, but everybody's also got the not so good. And then Jesus tells this story to show us how God actually works. How does God work when there's a bad fig tree that's not doing its job? And yes, read it metaphorically. A bad Christian who's not living a fruitful life. And he gives us the first person in the story who's supposed to be what we think God normally is like. Angry, stomping through his orchard and looking for those trees, axe in hand, to cut them down that aren't fruitful. And he sees one, aha, backslider, tree, cut it down. And then someone else shows up in the story, the gardener, Jesus. And he says, no, for this unfruitful tree, what should we do with it? We should aerate the soil. We should dig around it. We should fertilize it. We should give it air and water and time and space. And give it a chance to be fruitful. The response of Christ to the recalcitrant, recidivistic, self-obsessed sinner is grace. And you may say, well, Zimmerman, though, hate to break it to you. He does say, give it a year and then we'll cut it down. Ah, now we're back to good old church. (laughs) Well, I have a hunch about God because I've read the Bible. And there are stories like the time... A city was going to be destroyed because it was full of sinners. And Abraham said to God, but what if there's 50 good people in the city? God says, okay, I won't destroy it. What if there's 40? Abraham says, okay, I won't destroy it. Well, I'm so sorry. I know you're busy. But what if there's there's 30? No, I won't destroy it. Okay, good. I'm sorry. One more. What if there's 20 people? Will you destroy it then? And God says, no, I won't. And it keeps counting down lower and lower and lower because God is this crazy divine person who has a thing for sinners and you know it because when jesus catches people red-handed 
he forgives them. And you know, when Peter denies Christ three times, which Jesus knew he would do, told him he would do it, he said, I won't do it, he did it. And the first thing Jesus wants to do post-resurrection is to meet Peter, have breakfast with him and forgive him and put him in charge. And when his disciples ask Jesus, how many times should we forgive someone? Maybe seven times, thinking they're really generous. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven, meaning it never runs out. God never runs out of second chances. As we are about to say in the prayer of humble access, God's property is always to have mercy. You have gotten better in some ways over the course of your life. Maybe it was therapy. Maybe it was time. Maybe you just learned to suppress the impulses, but they're still there. In other ways, you haven't gotten better. But the message of the scriptures, the message of Christ, is that he's not surprised. Everybody is like this. And when faced with a tree that is not producing the best fruit, or maybe only one branch is fruitful and the rest are looking pretty ragged, the response of Christ is fertilizer, air, water, space, time, and grace. Because the only thing that produces change is love. Mr. Miyagi met a recalcitrant, angry, self-absorbed, acting out, New Jersey teenager, unhappy to be in Southern California. And the movie, The Karate Kid, is not about martial arts or the Cobra Kai dojo. It is about someone showing love and giving time and space and air and water to someone who needed help. And it is all the change in the world. Now you may say that's really silly and I could choose other examples from much fancier places. We could talk about Middlemarch by George Eliot or we could talk about Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. But I feel like everybody's probably seen The Karate Kid then read Victor Hugo. And if you want to know what grace looks like, see an old man giving a young punk a car who didn't deserve it and couldn't pay for it. Time, air, water, fertilizer, space, grace. Let us pray. Almighty God, Help us to see you as you actually are, the one who loves us and cares for us and whose property is always to have mercy. Amen.